Welcome to Europa Rama, a podcast series about science fiction and the future of Europe. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Are We Europe, the podcasting family and magazine which collectively asks the question what it means to be European. My name is Giuseppe Porcaro and I am the author of Disco Sour, a novel about Europe and democracy in the age of the algorithms. And in each episode, I talk to a fellow writer and together we will explore and create a fictional future scenario for the old continent. The idea of the series is really to take science fiction as a tool to explore multiple narratives for the future of Europe and also to consider storytelling as a tool to create spaces for a European imagination. In this episode, I would like to, to bring back utopian thinking within science fiction and bringing this utopian thinking in our imagined version of a future of Europe. Today, I'm happy to host Emmy Itaranta. Hello, Emmy. Hello. Emmy grew up in Finland and now resides in Canterbury in the UK. And she writes fiction in Finnish and English. Her debut novel, Memory of Water, has won numerous awards, including a James Tiptree Jr. Award Honors List mention and the Kalevi Yanti Prize for Young Writers in Finland. Emmy's work has been translated to more than 20 languages and uh, she comes from a very eclectic writing background. Her former life includes things as a columnist, theater critic, dramaturg, scriptwriter and press officer. So it's quite impressive background and diverse. Emmy, I would like to start our space-time exploration of today mentioning Ernst Bloch's idea that utopia is best understood as a uh, an expression of desire for a better future that is inherent in human culture. I take this from uh, Ernst Bloch, The Principle of Hope. In this book, he, uh, he lays out the many ways in which hope and the human desire for liberation and fulfillment appear in our everyday lives. And he wrote it amidst, amidst Europe post-war reconstruction. It was in 1954 that, uh, that, that The Principle of Hope was written. And... Um, To a certain extent, Bloch restored honor to the idea of utopia by seeing it not as a pre-existing programmatic state which had to be reached under wise and all-knowing leadership, either by the party or the church, but as a process, a process dri driven by human beings and driven on by their material hunger as well as their dreams of overcoming that hunger. In a nutshell, Bloch says that What drives us as human beings are our daydreams of a better and brighter world. So, Emmy, if you had to imagine a possible utopian element or, or, or several elements in, in a future version of a continent, what this could be? So this is actually quite an interesting challenge for me. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background here because I'm mainly a dystopian writer. And when you got in touch with me and said, do you want to be on a podcast where we talk about potential future scenarios for Europe, my first sort of ideas were very dystopian because that's just the way that my imagination seems to be built. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But when I thought um, that 
and also based on what you just said about um, Ernst Bloch's uh, idea of utopia, I think in the post-war era there was this obviously people who were alive at the time had just experienced the worst crisis of their lifetimes and Europe was in ruins and um, and uh, there was a lot of rebuilding to do. But at the same time, there was this sort of, in some ways, an atmosphere of optimism and this idea that when we work for it, we can uh, we can build a better world than what we have yeah, just basically, seen. Basically, when you hit rock bottom, uh, it, the only thing that can happen is to raise from the that. The only one up, essentially. Yeah, so in the post-war era, there was a lot of that sort of Um, that sort of thinking, and which also did give birth to some uh, utopian scenarios in literature and other forms of fiction. And I think that today we may have a little bit lost that because, I mean, I am a dystopian writer, so I'm not by any means condemning dystopia, but I do think that we are a little bit trapped in this dystopian narrative at the moment when we think about the future. And therefore, I thought that it would be interesting to bring some some slightly more optimistic utopian thinking back just to see what we can come up with if we take that as a starting point instead of a dystopian scenario. I totally uh, agree that... Um This operation is something that is very interesting, both for, let's say, the more narrative perspective, artistic perspective. As I say, we are kind of locked in dystopia somehow. Uh, it's a little bit the, the way we, we describe also our present, you know, uh, by, by fearing the future. This says a lot about what we are living through at the moment. But I'm really curious about to see which kind of uh, utopian uh, factors you've been, you've been uh, thinking about. Right. So um, when I started thinking about what could a potentially utopian future for Europe look like, my thoughts immediately went to ecological and environmental aspects, because obviously one of the biggest challenges and crises that the world is facing today is climate change. So I thought that I would start from something that in incorporates a sort of eco-utopian vision into this. And I remember reading about something that I found very fascinating, namely living buildings. There is a new form of architecture, I think uh, it started in Germany, if I'm not mistaken, at least the name is German, Balbotanik, which essentially mm. means like tree construction or tree architecture. Uh, the idea is that uh, buildings are created by shaping growing living trees into different kind of structures without damaging the trees. So I thought that it might be interesting to expand on that to, to the idea that buildings and cities in their entirety could be designed around this idea of using living plants as structures and thereby uh, sort of rather than treating nature and plants as something that we should control and exploit, instead treating them as something that is a natural part of our everyday life and environment and that therefore should be treated with respect. This is kind of amazing in terms of... Uh 
of uh, thinking about a city which is uh, basically a, a vegetal city to a certain extent. Um, it reminds me uh, th that concept of vegetal city actually. Uh, a Belgium, uh, a Belgium uh, architect and, and comic, um, comic strip writer, Luc Scuten, also worked a lot on this concept actually. And he imagined he actually made these beautiful drawings of those cities which basically takes trees and takes plants and, and like really uh, naturally use uh, the the biological uh, power of of those creatures to 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 have a symbiotic environment between between nature and uh, and and the human being and the thing that um, I would like to kind of like the thing that um, comes to my mind also is that such a vision doesn't necessarily needs to be some sort of going back into the nature or like uh, it, it can be a very high-tech scenario that uh, that that uses technology uh, on, a, on another level uh, in order to use what actually nature has to offer us uh, as you say instead of distracting the nature and using technology uh, on a destructive manner uh, using it uh, basically to to have a totally different approach with with uh, with with biology than what we have now yeah yeah precisely uh, precisely i wasn't necessarily envisioning some sort of let's go back to a rural and non-technological time like as it was centuries ago because i simply just don't think that is realistic and or, or possible to return to something like that. Uh, I mean, obviously, if there was some sort of a major disaster that basically wiped out our ability to use technology, then that would be what future would look like then. But that's not what we're envisioning here. We are sort of trying to see a future that doesn't stem from a big disaster, but actually stems from the technology that we have available today and what we may have available in 10 or 20 or 50 years' time and how to incorporate that uh, technological and scientific knowledge into a new sort of urban design and, and, and um, city structuring that, that actually uses the technology. Are you familiar with the concept of solar punk? Uh, no, actually not. Right, okay, so that was sort of what I had in mind. Solar punk is this sort of like subset, um, no, sorry, subgenre, uh, of science fiction, which I find really interesting. It started to emerge in the past five to ten years as a concept rather than any specific work of science fiction or speculative fiction. So when you, if you Google solar punk, you will mainly see visual artists envisioning in their art what a, what a futuristic city, for instance, run by solar power, wind power, tidal power, what that would look like while still incorporating all sorts of natural elements into it. So basically, the idea of solar punk is very close to this sort of ecological utopia that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to imagine here. Well, that, that's really interesting because... One of the other things that I was thinking when I was uh, kind of imagining what could be a utopian element of a future Europe would be exactly linked to the issue of energy and uh, and and the discovery of uh, of a new form of energy that would be 
able to uh, uh, not only be uh, sustainable and green and so on, but also that will be somehow um, available everywhere. And, and, and therefore, um, uh, what you introduce in terms of, uh, of this kind of mix between solar power, tidal, uh, energy, and, 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 and so on, like, it almost sounds like in that scenario, in that future, basically Europe will be also energetically independent from the rest of the world. Which, which to me poses some interesting question related to geopolitics and to uh, uh, how that kind of world look like. Who would have uh, who would have found this energy? Would be an energy that is going to be privatized? Then we 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 can easily slip into a dystopian uh, uh, scenario of monopoly of energy and so on. But also maybe in a more utopian version, maybe why not uh, uh, some sort of uh, different kind of European Union agency might have found such form of energy and make it available for for everyone and uh, you know what, what what do you think this could uh, change in terms of how people would look at the European Union for instance I think that depends a lot on uh, whether um, the European Union would choose to keep this new form of energy to themselves or whether they would actually, choose to share it with the rest of the world because hmm. yeah because if they chose to keep it to themselves then we are back to dystopia or to some sort of wakanda style you know like your europa is like wakanda and the rest of the world is uh, is doomed and yeah yeah shielded and and closed from the rest of the world yeah exactly uh, and, and basically then Europe would become the very dystopian version of itself where it's basically building fences and walls to keep everyone else up. Right, keep right. Keep else um, getting to this important energy source that we have. So uh, I think if we wanted to envision a utopian future, we would have to start from the start from the idea that Europe would actually choose to share the secret of this free, sustainable energy source with everyone else. Now, that would obviously change everything, because <laughs> as, as we probably know, um, I mean, the all the power structures and geopolitics of the world as it is today, a lot of it has to do with where does the energy comes from. Economy is dependent on that. Uh, trading relationships are dependent on that. What do you think? I think that, as you say, it will change totally the, the power relations. To a certain extent, you could foresee again two scenarios. One which is not necessarily dystopian, but um, definitely there will be some, some power struggle over, over, uh, over the new form of energy. Um, even if it's uh, brought as a gift, you know, they might uh, be from the other sides, you know, like the other parts of the world, some, uh, some sort of uh, distrust towards, uh, towards a gift given by, by someone else, you know. There is always this kind of, uh, of fear, you know, that uh, might uh, be built around that, that, that form of energy that all of a sudden those European who have been those Europeans who have been colonizing the rest of the world when uh, back in the 19th century and, and before, for centuries and centuries, now they want to bring us the energy, but what, what exactly 
it's behind that and so on. So, so I would say not necessarily a form of dystopia, but uh, because there is always uh, a balance to be to be found. But I wouldn't uh, necessarily foresee an absence of war, you know, or an absence of of, um, of leaders that might try to manipulate that that thing for their own interests. But then on the on the on the let's say the best case scenario uh, is. Um, is more like, I mean, how to say, if it would have to be a novel, there should always be some sort of problems, because if everything is totally okay, then we don't have a story, <laughs> you know what I mean? Why utopias are so difficult to write. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's why I'm trying to to imagine a utopian scenario where we can have some sort of threat, which which maybe can be overcome if we want a happy ending and uh, and stuff like that. So, so I, I, I'm I'm also thinking of the fact that it's a challenge. So more than say it's a dystopian thing, but it's a challenge to hold uh, that that level of energy and um, and and go around and and trying to find ways for using this energy mm-hmm. together with the others, for example. Yeah. So that 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 surely so. Uh, but the other thing that would be interesting to see is um, how then uh, from from the global uh, level this this changes things at local level because also if there are living buildings and 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 solar power and uh, I mean how would you imagine because this is also I mean you you mentioned about trade and uh, and you know exchanges of goods and things like that. How would you see in that scenario, you know, like, are you seeing it as a um, totally uh, self-sufficient kind of system where every single city or village have everything that they need on the spot? Or do you still see some sort of inter- interdependence? Because I think this also would be an element that uh, yeah. would play a big role about what kind of relations there will be, you know, in general, political relations and, and at, at large scale or at small scale. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, absolutely, I think that there would still be an interdependence because, um, you know, uh, for instance, such a simple thing as growing food, you know, there's a limited amount that you can do in the cities, even if the cities were built for it. Uh, Mm. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of food production could be moved into these new eco-cities with lots lots of uh, green spaces and things like that and city gardens and, and, and all that. But still, there would definitely be an interdependence because many of the resources uh, that are quite substantially um, necessary for human life are not available everywhere. So there would still have to be trading. I mean, I could see uh, power moving a lot more towards local level, as in, for instance, um, you know, from the sort of state level or or global level, I could see a lot more um, power being concentrated on individual cities and, and communities. Uh, I could, I mean, I could even see the emergence of something like city-states. So big cities in Europe, for instance, I could see Berlin or London or or, or Brussels becoming like an independent city-state where things 
managed at a very local level, and there is only a very, very cursory relationship with the actual larger state. I see that happening. I would even go a little bit farther. What you're saying, like we're going a little bit more about how the actual Europe, uh, European continent could be. I mean, I like I like a lot this idea about the city states and and the um, you know the local getting back to this. But on the other hand, I kind of um, it, the fact that this form of energy in our supposed uh, scenario mm. has been discovered by a um, specialized agency of the European Union, mm. I it, it, I kind of imagine even that uh, some sort of uh, parts of the European Union might be totally obsolete some to a certain extent because mm. of the new regime of, of of economy and of exchanges and so on. And while this agency for for that energy could become the um, the actual European Union, you know, mm. like the th- the thing where that it actually requires the, the the coordination, and that agency might might be kind of powerful in mm. that scenario. You see what I mean? And it it also reminds me the fact that one of the first agencies that were at the European le- level was the Euratom, That's which is the So, so I kind of like this kind of uh, retro futurism mm-hmm. style yeah. of things, like thinking that this kind of Euratom that is not anymore mm-hmm. based on, um, um, yeah, nu- nuclear power uh, on, of the old style, but is basically uh, providing this energy for free for the whole continent, mm-hmm. becomes some some sort of uh, you know new thingy, you know, uh, instead of what we have right now. Yeah, absolutely. I have still one question. How would the the daily life look like in, in those places, uh, according to you, in this, um, in this future scenario? How would normal normal life of people would be so i think that uh growing food in the cities would have to be a much bigger part of everyday life but then another really obvious thing is that transportation would completely have to change because um if the cities were built around this idea of a new sustainable um energy source and living buildings then obviously pollution would be adverse to that in order to maintain those type of city scapes um uh, obvious transportation systems would have to move almost entirely well pretty much entirely from fossil fuels to um, electric cars biking walking public transportation instead of private cars so i think that would be a pretty big change what do we do with all the existing buildings yeah that's that's another thing that i wanted to point out that not just the ex- existing buildings but also like existing cars all sorts of mm, oh, uh, exactly exactly you know old um old um oh, i'm losing the words you know coal plants what what do we do yeah Either, so it, there would have to be i think a very long transition period where these new technologies and new kinds of planning take over and that will probably be decades if not centuries so what mm. i uh, the only way i can see happening Uh, would be that the old buildings would gradually have to be uh, converted or replaced, converted for completely different purposes and replaced um, by these new new types of new types of architecture, new types of uh, energy production. But there would have to be a very long. A sort of overlap between the way we do things now and between 
how we plan to do things in the future in this our imaginary scenario yeah 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 and th this actually some somehow supports my speculation about the need for some sort of uh, central agency mm -hmm. that would be able to sustain that kind yes. of process in the yes. uh, over the over the year and um And well, another scenario, actually, now that you are, you are, you are mentioning the fact that this is a long process, a transition process, and it's going to take long, is also that probably it will require a lot of money. Oh yes. So, so in in um some sort of uh, capitalistic uh, version of our of our uh, of our world, maybe you, Europe or this agency would choose to actually sell the energy to the rest of the world instead, maybe to a good price or whatever, but basically making it an, an income-generating activity yeah. uh, instead of just giving it as a gift uh, to, the, to the rest and, and using that money for, for reconverting the, the continent into something green. This is a little bit like the more economic approach to, to that scenario. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense because the resources and the money, they have to come from somewhere. You can't do, you can't make such a big transition for free. Plus, obviously, it would also have an impact on uh, sort of like um, the professional, the entire structure of the society in terms of how people are educated and what people do for a living because a lot of, lot of old professions would become obsolete and a lot of new types of training would be required so that would change as well it also means that even if this is um uh in the long run a utopian uh, uh scenario it doesn't mean that within the frame of this process of transformation there won't be challenges <laughs> and there won't be conflicts no, no. Uh, uh, you know, um, so it's not just uh, everyone is going to be happy all the time. No, it doesn't work. It never works like that, does it? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, we, we have yet to see an actually uh, functioning version of a real utopia in our real world, which is not to say that we shouldn't hope for it or work for it, but we have yet to see it actually happening. But that's also where it would be interesting to, to you know, if I would have to write a book in this, uh, a story in this scenario, I would probably pick up uh, um, in the timeline somewhere in between towards the end of the, of the transition process, but where there is still some transitioning uh, Uh, elements and you know maybe maybe uh, really trying to combine this um, this transformation of society with with some personal story where where people are uh, transforming themselves and and through you know uh, I always like to combine more broader political and societal scenarios uh, in the science fiction but also with very inner kind of process of transformation yeah yeah and another thing that i just thought of as well or another question would be where would we find uh the sort of political and individual will to make these changes and go through this transition because uh, at the end of the day you know everyone knows by now that climate change is a very serious threat Uh, but yet very few of us are willing to give up any of our comfort that we are used to in order to make changes in our own lives. So, you know, just, just finding, um, motivating people to want to do something like this, to want to 
change uh, um, change the world that much and adjust to the changes, I think that would be a big challenge as well. Yeah, that that's a huge challenge. So maybe actually as an inciting uh, accident, inciting incident uh, to, to, to start this transformation, there might have been something big happening. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say the destruction of the world continent due to... Uh, to, to the climate change, but perhaps uh, it, it might suffice the, the, that, that one island in the Mediterranean would, would disappear or, or like one coastal uh, city might be really uh, evacuated um, combined with the available technology to perhaps start to make uh, things change. I mean, just to, you know, I mean, some, something very big must yeah. happen in order for everyone to be on board, yes. I suppose. Yes, I agree with that, because unfortunately, as a species, we, as much as we are capable of uh, compassion and creativity and all sorts of wonderful things, we have also shown ourselves time and again to be selfish and unable to learn from our mistakes unless something really big happens. So I do agree with you that we would that there would have to be some sort of a big uh, catastrophic turning point that would actually make people see uh, the value in changing the way we do things. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Emmy. It was uh, really a pleasure and, uh, and, and fun to create this um, utopian uh, uh, yet challenged and challenging <laughs> future for, for Europe and uh, this brings us to the end of this episode. Bye bye. Thank you for listening Europarama. You can check out more episodes and the other shows of the Are We Europe podcasting family in the channel of Simplecast and on the website of Are We Europe. Also, you will find more detailed information and links about what we've been discussing in the show notes. In the next episode, I will speak with Jost van der Kastelle, an author from Belgium. Together, we are going to imagine a future where the capital of the European Union moves to Budapest, leaving Brussels with a wasteland of empty offices which will be reused in a very peculiar way. Looking forward to it. Until next time, bye-bye.